Hi everybody, my name is Landy, and I'm going to listen to episode 176 of the Vortex of Ballotated Podcast. Welcome to the Vortex Apologetic, where substance reigns over mindless entertainment. Because biblical truth matters in a profound, timely, and urgent way in a lost and dying world. And now, introducing your humble servants in Jesus Christ, Ricardo, a.k.a. B, Arenas, and Jeff, the Brain, Claiborne. Father, thank you for this opportunity to do another podcast. Thank you for this opportunity to speak to our audience. I just pray that you bless them, strengthen them as your word is spoken, and uh, as anxiety has gripped the world in our day and time. Help us to give a sense of comfort and strength to them and to help them and as well as us and through the means of your divine revelation to understand what's going on today and then to understand the significance of what happened 2,000 years ago as well. And how does it tie in together? So, Father, I just pray that you would guide our words, our thoughts, and our hearts during this podcast tonight. Help us to speak that which you'd have us to speak. Help us to stay true to your scripture. And help us to stay true to Christ. Thank you for these things, Father. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, hey, man. How you doing? Good, bro. How about yourself? Good, good. Seems so like you've uh, uh, you've gotten yourself in uh, some uh, pretty heavy uh, CrossFit uh, exercising there. Yeah, I've been doing that. Yeah, doing the CrossFit uh, and uh, the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. I got into that. So, man. I, I, I'm just, I don't know, brother, at my age and with my heart condition, I i think I'm still as crazy as I was when I was 20. <laughs> Is it one of those where you want to do things like you're 20, but yeah. your body responds like, you know, 60 some year old? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. My, my brain saying, oh, come on, I can do this. My body's going, oh, no, no, please not again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, you know what the, the good news is i've lost about 30 pounds wow uh, which, which is good for my heart uh, went to see the uh, cardiologist the other day and i'm doing okay i mean a uh, minor issue i have a heart valve that's not functioning properly i have one artery that has a slight um where to where the art where the the artery wall begins to bulge out just a little bit, a slight uh-huh. aneurysm, but it's very mild. It's a, the normal, I think, is like 2.6, and I was a 2.8, so it's like just very slight. So mm. that was the only problem. Everything else was within standard range, which was good news, and uh, God blessed on that. 
Now, is that a valve uh, issue you're having? Are they going to, is just something they're going to keep an eye on as you move along keep, in life or? They keep an eye on, on it. Um, it just puts a little bit of extra strain on the heart as the heart's pumping. Mm-hmm. But my blood pressure is phenomenal. Um, blood flow is good. Um, so, I mean, I, uh, I've made a lot of improvements since 2019, brother. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's, that's the good news. And so, um, I was just praying the other day to the Lord that, um, I know that he will take me when it, when it's his choice to take me and will not let me go any earlier than he has determined. And I won't stay a day longer than he has determined. So God has determined this already. That's when I will leave this earth and I rest in that. And I'm not going to be like Hezekiah crying on my bed when God says you're going to die. And okay, I'll give you 15 more years. I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> but the Lord, uh, Lord has been good and I feel, I feel great. I mean, as I'm dropping weight, I'm feeling really good. So the key real quick uh, that I've done is I've changed my diet drastically. I have mm. become very, very strict with my diet and I've taken supplements for extra minerals and vitamins and, you know, the natural healing of the body, you give the body what it needs, it will heal itself. Um, that's kind of what I've been doing. So. Amen. And now it's, you know, and as we age, isn't this just, just the way the body goes as it ages, it, you know, deteriorates, it loses a lot of these minerals and, you know, vitamins that it usually, you know, produces, therefore you need to be you know uh taking supplements right so you can yes yeah add those minerals add those proteins that you need those vitamins correct um there's 60 essential minerals there's 12 essential vitamins there's two amino acids and i'm trying to i think some the antioxidants that you need and if you don't get those your your body is not getting everything you need and the problem is is that the soil is not producing it. The only way you can produce those minerals is through the soil. Mm. Soils have been depleted. This is why God instituted um, what he did when it comes to farming. The day of Jubilee was to let the soil rest and and the the minerals in the soil to be replenished. Right. Um, And so that was, there was a practical side to that as well as a spiritual side. Uh, the The year of Jubilee also, mm. that was the year when Amen. people were forgiven their debts, right? right. That's a concept that would shock the world today. <laughs> um, and um, so, we what happens is you have you have to find good supplement companies that are putting the minerals back in the soil and take those supplements to supplement the the food that's in, that's deficient of that. Um, so that's that's important. So supplements do help. Regardless of what your MD tells you, folks, supplements do help. Uh, Let me give you this real quick since we're on that subject. Uh, 40% of uh, the education that medical doctors get in medical school is from the pharmaceutical companies. Mm. And the pharmaceutical companies are going to push pharmaceuticals because it's all about profit. And anything that would dig into their profit, they're going to try and demonize it. 
that would be vitamins and minerals and supplements and herbs and things that are very cheap and easy to use to heal your body. They are being demonized by these pharmaceutical companies because it cuts into their profit. It's all about money. And yeah, so the yeah. doctors are trained in pharmaceuticals. They, they're, as far as their nutritional training goes, they get very little nutritional training. So they know very little about how nutrition affects the body. But if you go to a, a natural path, right? A nature path, a, a pathic doctor mm-hmm. that studies nutrition on a, a very, very detailed basis. They're very highly educated in it. They'll give you a different story. So they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, I mean, they have thousands of natural remedies for different ailments but the the, the, but the key is to make sure you give your body the 60 minerals and the 60 vitamins and the amino acids it needs every day and so you have to make sure you find a good supplement that does that good stuff i I use like just just like my uh uh-huh go ahead i use a company called longevity Young, if anybody wants Longevity. To oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. We, we don't, we're, we're not sponsored by them. We don't get any money from them, but I just it's it's just been phenomenal for me. So if you want to check that out, Longevity. Cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm um, like my brother. I, I jumped that bandwagon a few years back. You remember when I ended up in the hospital due to high blood pressure? Right. <laughs> and uh, my life changed there too, as well, because yeah, uh, I you know my family just has a history of high blood pressure. Uh, diabetes and heart issues and same thing i stacked up on my vitamin intake i've even reached out to my brother and he's given me you know a couple different uh, supplements to take which i added to my uh, repertoire of uh, vitamins i'm taking but i'm also you know watching what i eat and mm-hmm. uh, doing a little bit of exercise brother i walk uh, during my lunchtime around the whole my whole entire community here and it's about a mile and a half Nice. And what I do, I, I do fast walking, you know, almost okay. like slow running mm-hmm. just to end the whole way. That way my heart keeps pumping and I finish out with 50, um, um, what do you call them? A jumping jacks, 50 jumping jacks. Nice. So 50, 15 minutes or so of sustained uh, mm-hmm. exercise is what oh, you yeah. need. That works. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Good stuff, my brother. So. I don't know how we always get out. I don't know. You know, we started something with nutrition, right? I guess (laughs) so, right? (laughs) But uh, that's not really our main subject. We just get sidetracked, you know? But anyway, um, so we are going to be talking about prophecy again. Yes, we are. And so let's begin with, um, with two things. Number one, prophecy in the Bible. Bible prophecy has absolutely nothing to do with what's happening in the world today. Wait a minute. That, that, Hold that, up. That Captain. one shocks people. Uh, you know what? Right now, you, you're, you're making a few angry. You know, how dare no. you say it, it has nothing to do with today, bro? Come on. Really? Like, yeah. <laughs> other, yeah. Other than other than the fact that Bible prophecy said that there would be a golden age called the New Covenant, uh, that part is is affecting us today. But that's the only part. All right. So they shouldn't be too mad then. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, uh, my goodness. So 
and we're going to get into why that's the case. We we have already gotten into it uh, a couple podcasts, but uh, so what is God doing today? Then I mean, you have the world economy getting ready to crash. Uh-huh. Right? Banks mm-hmm. banks are going bankrupt. Oh, we're right? going. We're hitting inflation, bro, and everything. You know, inflation is crazy. Now they're talking about a reversal back toward a depression. I know. Uh, and you have people uh, the sudden death syndrome. Was it adult? Is it adult sudden death syndrome? Is that what they call it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People dropping like, like all over the place, and uh, the doctors can't seem to figure out why. <laughs> well, the logical thing to do is to figure out okay, what changed in the last couple of years, mm. and what changed was the COVID shots. Ooh. And we know that that's what's causing people to drop. And, and it's, I know that's not comforting news and I don't like it any more than anybody else does. I don't want to see people getting genocide by the pharmaceutical companies and the, the world bankers um, any more than anybody else does. But it, it's, it's the reality is it's happening in our world. And this causes people to think that this is a part of Bible prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they they may relate it. To, some people relate it to the um, uh, the mark of the beast. Others may relate. I don't know if I heard this one, but I think maybe some would relate it to the scorpions in the book of Revelation that sting oh, yeah. people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they could probably think that's the shot. Um, but you know, those are um, interpretations that are not based upon. Uh, proper hermeneutics and scripture, but that's, I mean, I can see where people can end up going there. Oh, absolutely. Others say, yeah. Hey, this is a, the door opening for the antichrist to come. Okay. Right. right. Yeah. That's, that's another one that I've, I've yeah. uh, seen. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that too, but, um, but the bottom line is what is God doing? What, you know, with all this stuff going on with this attempt to, for mass genocide, we know that the Georgia, the Georgia um, stones, what do you call them? The, the, I can't remember what they called them, but they blew them up recently. Yeah. They were stating that, um, uh, that to, to uh, eliminate 5 billion people from the, from the world. Mm. Uh, take it down to 500 million. That's what it was. Take ah, okay. the population down to 500 million. Uh, we know that I, I read Klaus Schwab's books and he talked about depopulation in his books. Um, and, you know, they, they wanted to use. So what they wanted to use was the shots and uh, famine because that's why they're trying to destroy food supplies. They're trying to use famine to do all this. So what's God doing during all this time? Is God just sitting back in an easy chair going, oh, look at that over there, huh? Oh, well, I'll just go back to eating my Cheetos and eating tele- watching television, <laughs> right? No, that's not what God is doing. God is acting in accordance to his attributes. Mm-hmm. He is acting in accordance to his nature. And what we will see is that God will judge these people and he will deal with them. And I've been praying that um, he would bring them to the knowledge of Christ, that they would come to Christ. And, be, and can you imagine that the people who have been planning this stuff, if suddenly they became uh, devout Christians, mm. 
how much the world would change overnight. That they would come out and say, yeah, we had all this plan, but now we're not going to do it because yeah. our heart has changed. That would be huge. That would, that would be incredible. But if that does not happen, if that's not God's intent, because we know Romans 9, there are vessels of wrath and there are vessels of mercy. That is true. Uh, then my prayer is that he would remove them and uh, end this attempt to harm humanity in the manner that they have, because they have created a lot of devastation. And uh, so my prayer is that one or the other would happen, but God in his timing and his sovereignty and in his wisdom and in his omnipresence and his omniscience, all knowing he will handle the situation and it will be in a manner that will benefit the church, his bride, yeah. the church. And in a manner, I believe in this case, in a manner that will save a lot of people from uh, a lot of devastation. Absolutely. Um, so, and I think brother, one of the things that and I was just thinking about this, you know, because we talk about, you know, what our precision was before being, you know, that we were, um, Futurist, you know, at some point in our lives, we were both premillennial. Yeah, yeah. and I come to think, man, we are so physically minded when we read through scripture. And is it it's either what it was because we were taught that way or because we just didn't get out of that and we read it exactly as a physical thing happening to us as well, that those letters were actually us, you know, sent to us as well, the entire Christian nation, right? Um, so we're so physically minded. That, you know, now as we are clear, seeing things clear through scripture in its proper context, and not only that, looking at the old covenant and the new covenant, how it went from physical to spiritual. So there has to be that paradigm shift in us as we read through scripture, that the way we read when it was physical, it's done away when Christ came and everything became spiritual from right. salvation to his right. coming. I, I taught that right out of Hebrews and maybe that, be, that might be my next video. That's a good idea to go through that because Hebrews makes that clear. And I'll, I'll let me go, let me go to Hebrews and read that. I believe it was out of chapter 10, as I recall. Yes. Uh, chapter 10, verse one for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers unto there to there unto excuse me perfect so uh, what it's saying is that the old covenant system of sacrifices uh, and the old covenant law written on tablets of stone were a shadow of the real thing and the and it was physical. Israel was physical. The, the, they were written on tablets of stone. Uh, the temple was a physical temple in the old right. covenant. The, the Holy of Holies was physical um, and all of that. The sacrifices were physical sacrifices of animals. And then Christ came, the Messiah came, and he sacrificed for our sins on the cross, was buried, rose on the third day. And there was a huge change a huge mm. slip over uh switch over because uh the, the the curtain 
to the Holy of Holies in the temple is tore from the top to the bottom, which means that the final sacrifice had been made and there would never, any sacrifices after that would be uh, sacrifices that would, uh, would bring Christ to an open shame. Mm, that's you huge. Know? And so the, the very image of the thing is not physical. It is spiritual. The new covenant is not a physical covenant. It's not a physical kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. The temple is no longer physical. The temple is spiritual. First Corinthians tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the temple of God. So it went from the Holy of Holies to the soul of the believer as mm. being the temple of God. So that's spiritual, not physical. So, and, you know, you could go on with different examples of that, uh, but yeah, there, there was a transition. And so we are living in a time now where we are to worship uh, Christ and God in spirit and in truth, not in a physical manner. So the, the, the tablets on the, the, the law written on tablets of stone, Hebrews tells us that it's now written on the hearts of men. Mm. So not, not a literal, I mean, if you open my heart in heart surgery, you're not going to see the Ten Commandments etched into my heart, okay? It's talking about uh, in our soul. It would be deep in our soul. We would know these commandments. We would know when we're doing wrong, when we're doing right. It would not be a, a, a time of ignorance. It would be a time of knowledge that um, God's word is clear and uh, people they do have a sense of guilt when they do wrong. And the reason is because of we're in a new covenant. So. Mm, good stuff, my brother. So what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So we see the temple is physical, new things to come spiritual. So are you saying even the rapture? Is that a physical? Should I be looking for that? Because I mean, you know, the way I read First Thessalonians 4, somewhere between 14, 13, 14, somewhere around there, it says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. What does sleep mean, Jesus mean, brother? Does that mean those that yeah. are not Christian or maybe Christian or still haven't decided? Or, <laughs> You know, if you're, if you're if you're asleep in Christ, you're a believer, right? Mm, yeah. well, so, could that mean that oh. dead in Christ then? The dead in Christ would rise. Ah, yeah. yeah. And it says, "For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, mm -hmm. coming of the Lord, uh oh, mm -hmm. will be and by no means precede those who are asleep." Is that talking about the dead right now that are, you know, under six feet? Or yeah, you're, is it you're that referring, time back then in that generation? You're referring to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses uh, 15, 16, that, that territory, right? Yeah. Uh, and 17, 17. So I want to yeah. talk about the rapture, bro. Are what we going to be physically rapture? Am I going to be sitting here one day? What was my and first? What was my first clue that you wanted to talk about? <laughs> Wait, you Sorry. didn't let me finish. By, by, by oh, go, 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 for it. go! I was gonna say, are we gonna be sitting here one day, and we're gonna be talking about, and all of a sudden, whoosh, 
You're going to see headphones drop on the floor or maybe you're going to go away and then I'm going to be like, <gasps> what happened? Or because we were like raptured. Sorry, I was just trying to make you're it funny. Fun you're life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. totally yeah. Suddenly you see the headphones kind of floating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have one advantage I don't have, brother. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, your hair's not like sticking up all different directions and all that. Yeah, not there. anymore, bro. Look at this. Very little. <laughs> and in the light, it looks really, really, really bald. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, I, just gave, I just gave in. I'm like, you know what? Just let it go. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Um, yeah, I'm not going to be using Rogaine or uh, <laughs> you know, what's the other right. stuff. <laughs> so the rapture, yeah, the doctrine that was uh, first came on the scene of Christendom in uh, when did Darby John Nelson Darby? It was eighteen hundreds. That was eighteen hundreds. Yeah, it was a few yeah. couple hundred uh, years ago. Yeah, that was the first time that particular doctor ever was heard of or ever showed up on the scene of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Nelson Darby, and it was it was a young girl in his congregation stood up there in a testimony time said she had a dream about a rapture and she maybe she didn't call it rapture but she described it right right and he took that and found he from that found it in the scriptures apparently uh schofield picked up on it and created the schofield reference bible and that was it so he had put it in his schofield reference bible out of he was the president of dallas theological seminary and uh, so that gave him a lot of prominence and that was the birth of dispensational premillennialism uh, man we have great imaginations brother we really do. Right? Yeah. And uh, you know what? The crazy thing about this passage in particular, and I think we all been there, uh-huh. you know, and experienced it. It's it was it's almost like an escape from uh, the troubles of the world when you view, oh, I'm gonna be raptured. Like, man, I'm escaping the troubles from this world. I'm out of here. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Yeah. But when we find out that that's not the case, it's it's completely different. It's not physical. It's not a physical rapture. And the word rapture itself in the context up. It is caught, caught up, right? Yeah. And for mm-hmm. that generation during that time, uh, one of the things that intrigued me a lot was when I read about being caught up. And caught up meant there was a pardon to come in to visit you from another town, and you knew about it. So you sent a posse or some servants or some people to meet them halfway to get caught up with them and then bring them in for the visit to your city. And I found that very interesting Mm. because to me, that made a lot of sense Mm -hmm. with the context of what the church being raptured in that time meant, meant the old covenant dead in Christ being caught up with the new covenant Christian believers the ones, obviously, that are in Christ spiritually and the ones that were in the old covenant that die under the old covenantal uh, laws, all the same now in salvation and atonement in Christ. Well, the, that's very interesting. I, I actually hadn't heard that before. But uh, the t- traditional 
I guess I'm not really wanting to use the word traditional, but I, maybe mm-hmm. I could say the orthodox uh, interpretation of First Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17 was that it was a general resurrection passage. Mm, yeah, I like that as well. Yeah. I like that uh, as well. That's how Augustine or Augustine, however you want to say his name, that's how he understood it. That's how, that's how Spurgeon understood it. That's how um, the reformers understood it. Calvin and Luther and, you know, you can go down the list. Uh, John Knox. I mean, they all understood it as a general resurrection. You look mm. at you look at the uh, early church fathers, the Antonician, the Nicene, and the Apostolic Fathers. Yeah. They un- interpreted the passage as a general resurrection, not as a rapture. And so, um, to so this new doctrine of the rapture, and it is new. It's only maybe a couple hundred years old now, since we're in the 21st century. Mm. Um, it, it's really new in comparison to the uh, almost almost 2,000 years of uh, building of Christianity and the church looking at these, these passages. Um, this is the new kid on the block. And uh, mm. so I interpret it as a general resurrection, not, mm. as, not as a rapture. Um, yeah, and, I mean, it, it, it does to me as I'm thinking about it, it makes sense as a resurrection. Mm-hmm. I think in a, one of my favorites, uh, David Curtis, uh, talks in regard to that as well, and he's used it the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, I believe he says, uh, it's almost like, uh, like a second coming of, uh, of a saint being taken into the presence of God and they experience a resurrection by doing so, yeah. Yeah. So but I, thought that, uh, I thought that was interesting that they this particular uh, uh, view in uh, Covenants Catholicism saw it right. as a uh, two covenants meeting together now in one, you know, and now you can say a resurrection in one resurrection now. So, right. Well, you have to, more you have to interpret it based upon apocalyptic language in the Bible. Absolutely. Apocalyptic language is very, um, it's, uh, symbolic it's, mm-hmm. it's metaphoric right mm-hmm. uh, so when you see uh, with uh, caught up together with them in the clouds clouds is not talking about the literal physical clouds there um and air the word for air there means um the air that we breathe it's the air that's right around us brother we're breathing in the air right now and accordance to the greek word it's there mm-hmm. so it's not talking about up there in the sky right <clears throat> clouds is was it's always been used in apocalyptic language as a um a symbol of the judgment of god amen upon evil right so um it would be a, during a time of judgment that this would occur Right. And so that's pretty clear because clouds are always used as a term for judgment. If you look in the Old Covenant prophets and you see how the term clouds are used, he's always coming down upon the clouds and judgment and so forth. Then you have uh, caught up, which is harpazo. And harpazo simply means seized. Mm. And so you have 
a seizure, being seized, uh, then we which are alive and remain shall be seized Hmm. in, uh, seized together. So that's a spiritual seizing. We're seized together uh, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So um, they're seized during a time of judgment. In other words, the, the church is solidified during a time of great judgment. And that would be, um, uh, that would be uh, the judgment of God coming down. And in the air, meet with the Lord in the air. That's the air we breathe. Mm. So we're meeting with the Lord in a spiritual sense. Now, um, we do meet the Lord physically in the, in the future, right? But, um, you know, when I die, I'll go meet the Lord, right? Amen. So uh, there is the physical, there's a physical aspect. Just like the book of Revelation is a combination of physical and spiritual because it talks about the physical temple, then it talks about the spiritual temple and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, this passage is not as cut and dry and simple and easy as the the current rapture interpretation of it would seem to indicate. Um, yeah, and when you look at some of the historic, historical histor- um, theologians when they're talking about this passage, they see it completely different yeah. than the, one of, as a rapture, you know. You look at um, you look at Russell. You look at uh, Augustine. You look at yeah. Anyway, I, I could go through all the names, but yeah, it's not a rapture. There is no, no. rapture. Found and not only that, brother. Also, exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. We got historians such as Josephus, which we'll probably hear from in a little bit. And Tacitus, yeah, I, I just remember Tacitus reading Tacitus, the right. Roman historian, who right. related you know, what he saw in the events that were taking place during that time. And we're talking about, which will probably cover the uh, abomination of desolation where Roman empire came to cover the entire city. Uh, Anyways, just to give you a little bit of a quote, I came across some of my notes that I had taken from previous studies I've done in, uh, in histories, in histories, Uh, I think is a verse. Yeah, go for it. I, got, where, I have uh, I have Josephus. Okay, well, let me read well, a little bit on Tacitus. He wrote okay, this. Go for it. And I quote: "In the sky appeared a vision of armies in conflict, of mm-hmm. glittering armor. A sudden lightning flash from the clouds lit up the temple. The doors of the holy place abruptly opened. A superhuman voice was heard to declare that the gods were leaving it. And in the same instant came the rushing." tumult of their departure that's on his histories uh chapter 13 uh eusebius the bishop at palestine mm-hmm. uh and it says here see eusebius ecclesiastical history wrote this in the fourth century for before the setting of the sun chariots and armed troops were seen throughout the whole region in midair wheeling through the clouds and encircling the cities 
The establishment of the kingdom is directly related to the gathering of the saints in that generation, as seen in Matthew 24, 30 to 31. In fact, the very next chapter has the explanation of the gathering in the kingdom in parabolic form. In the parable of the sheep and goats, Christ identifies that the righteous and the wicked will be gathered when he came later in that generation. Verse 31, see Matthew 16, 27 through 28. At the time of the gathering, uh, Christ burns the wicked with fire, but it's but says to the righteous, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. This is precisely the same gathering as seen in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Uh, the word rapture is nowhere found in the Bible. <laughs> no, either. it's not. And it is not taught and- there either. So no, yeah, there is really pres- no, if right. we think about it, there's really no scriptural support for it. It's something I think, right. like you were telling us, Darby and uh, Schofield, is something right. that, you know, birded from them it, because of the doctrine. way they saw it. Right. It's a doctrine that came from a false prophet. Yeah. The, oh, the young yeah. lady in, in his, in Darby's congregation, yeah. you know, I mean, are you, really, I mean, we're going to build an entire Christian and I'm you know, brother, I'm uh, glad the narrative on that. What's that? Go ahead. Um, no, I'm glad you said it's false, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it's an escapist philosophy. That's kind of the way I see it. It's more like pure fiction, you know, mm-hmm. made, somebody made it up, right? Because, right. you know, it quote unquote fit their paradigm at that time when they were, you know, studying scripture. Uh, but it, it's what I found amazing is that nowhere in scripture we are taught to escape reality. Nowhere. No. Therefore, to me, yeah, it has to come from a false teacher. We live in a time of, of great comfort. And we right. have more comfort now than any time in, in the history of the world. The average person in mm-hmm. our country, in, in the United States, it is living like a king and a queen mm. in comparison to, matter of fact, even better than kings and queens lived back in those days. Back, you know, thousand, two thousand years ago. Yeah, we live in a great comfort, and so we don't see a, death is kind of hidden from us because you know when people die, they usually die in a hospital, and then they're you know it's it's after they pass that you you go and see them at the funeral home or or maybe the the morgue mm-hmm. uh, and to identify them or whatever. But uh, you know, we don't really see death that much even you know people used to, used to be an agri, uh, agricultural society agrarian society and you'd see animals die right mm-hmm. you'd see people right. die people would die at home back then your grandma grandma would die in at home you know yeah and the family would gather as she's passing and and you know you didn't have the drugs that would drug people up as they're you know, with the hospice and all that i mean death was very very real to people back then mm-hmm. And so death, really, it it it's it's like we run want to run and hide in our safe space these days when it comes to death. We 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 really don't handle it very well, you know. Amen. The thought of thought of dying, and so um, anything that would fall into that category, it, it's it's just shocking to the system, right? We used to have mm-hmm. a thing mm-hmm. in law enforcement. They told us in the academy. They says, okay, so when you're when you're taking 
blood from a suspect on, in a DUI case, because you, you know, if they refuse breath or urine, you got to take blood, right? Mm-hmm. They said, what you cannot do is shock the conscience of the court. Mm. Punch them in the nose and then put the blood in the vial, the vial and, <laughs> and then you've got, you know, you've got your blood sample. You cannot do that. You have to do it clinically and medically. <laughs> and so, Although you, know, you but, wish you could. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but, but death is kind of, it kind of like that to people these days. It's like a, a sock in the nose. Right. Um, and so we don't, we don't handle it well. And so, uh, when we look at things like when we're looking at Josephus and Tacitus and so forth and see how common it was with them, we, we can, really can't relate, you mm-hmm. know, to that. I, I had a point, point behind all this and I took that long route and now I can't <laughs> I don't remember my, <laughs> my, my full point. But let me get into Josephus real quick and read to you what Josephus said. Mm. All right. And this is a reference to AD 70. We didn't mention that. This is a reverence, uh, reverence, a reference to AD 70. When the physical temple came down, Christ told his disciples at all of the discourse that the temple would come down and that everything in all of the discourse was the signs of the times of this temple coming down. And it came down in AD 70. And so um, it says here, uh, Josephus, a false prophet, a false prophet, was the occasion of these people's destruction. Who had made a public proclamation in the city that very day that God commanded them to get up upon the temple, and that there they should receive miraculous signs of their deliverance. Now there was then a great number of false prophets suborned by the tyrants to. Uh, impose upon the people who denounce this to turn the page (laughs) (laughs) to, uh, to them that they should wait for deliverance from God. And this was in order to keep them from deserting Uh, that they might be buoyed up above fear and care by such hopes. Now a man that is in adversity does easily comply with such promises for when a when such a seducer makes him believe that he shall be delivered from those miseries which oppress him then it is that the patient is full of hopes of such deliverance okay so there were false prophets telling him get up on the temple and god will save you and they were Mm. giving false prophecies on that the rome was coming in and they were going to tear that place into smithereens Thus were the miserable people persuaded by these deceivers and such as bellied God himself, while they did not attend nor give credit to the signs that were so evident and did so plainly foretell their future desolation, but like them infatuated, without either eyes to see or minds to consider, did not regard the denunciations that God made to them. Thus, there was a star resembling a sword which stood over the city and a comet that continued a whole year. Now that, you know, Christ talking about, you'll see signs in the heavens. Mm -hmm. There's signs in the heavens that they saw during that that time of great tribulation and apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And it happened 2,000 years ago, folks. (gasps) Thus also... That's also before the Jews' rebellion and before those commotions which 
preceded the war, when the people were come in great crowds to the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the eighth day of the month, Zechtekas, Nisan, and at the ninth hour of the night, so a a great light shone around the altar and the holy house, which is the temple. Anytime you hear holy house from Josephus, he's referring to the temple. Mm. A great light shone around the altar and the holy house that it appeared to be bright daytime, which light lasted for half an hour. In the book of Revelation, it says there was silence for half an hour as a seal was broken. Wow. This light seemed to be a good sign to the unskillful, but was so interpreted by the sacred scribes as to portend those events that followed immediately upon it. At the same festival also, a heifer, as she was led by the high priest to be sacrificed, brought forth a lamb Mm. in the midst of the temple. Um. Moreover, the eastern gate of the inner court of the temple, which was of brass and vastly heavy and had been with difficulty shut by 20 men and rested upon a brass armed with iron and had bolts fastened very deep into the firm floor, which was um, there made of one entire stone, was seen to be opened to its own accord about the sixth hour of the night. Now, those that keep watch in the temple came hereupon, running to the captain of the temple, and told him of it, who then came up thither, and not without great difficulty was able to shut the gate again. This also appeared to the vulgar to be a very happy prodigy, as if God did thereby open them the gate of happiness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sounds like the way I like people, that <laughs> sounds like the way people interpret things today doesn't it right exactly <laughs> but the men of learning understood it that the security of their holy house was dissolved of its own accord and that the gate was open for the advantage of their enemies so these publicly declared that this signal foreshadowed the desolation that was coming upon them this is the desolation of abomination that is spoken of in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, folks. This is the desolation. Foreshadowed the desolation that was coming upon them. Besides these, a few days after that feast, on the 21st day of the month, Artemisus, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomena appeared, I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable were it not related by those that saw it and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals for before sunsetting chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor was, were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding of cities. Mm-hmm. Moreover, at that feast, which we call Pentecost, as the priests were going by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was to perform their sacred ministrations, they said that in the first place, they felt a quaking and heard a great noise 
And after that, they heard a sound as of a great multitude saying, let us remove hence. But what is still more terrible, that was one Jesus, the son of Ananus, a plebeian and a husbandman, who four years before the war began, and at a time when the city was in very great peace and prosperity, came to the feast whereon it is our custom for everyone to make tabernacles to God in the temple began on a sudden cry aloud, a voice from the east, a voice from the west, a voice from the four winds, a voice against Jerusalem and the holy house, a voice against the bridegrooms and the brides, and a voice against this whole people. This was his cry as he went about by day and by night in all the lanes of the city. However, certain of the most eminent among the populace had great indignation at this dire cry of his and took up the men that took up the man and gave him a great number of severe stripes, yet did not he either say that chastised them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, let me try this again. At this dire cry of his, took up the man and gave him a great number of severe stripes, yet did not he either say anything for himself or anything peculiar to those that chastised him, but still he went on with the same words which he cried before. Hereupon our ruler, supposing, as the case proved to be, that this was a sort of divine fury in the man, brought him to the Roman procurator, where he was whipped till his bones were laid bare. Yet did he not make any supplication for himself, nor shed any tears, but turning his voice to the most lamentable tone possible. At every stroke of the whip of his, uh, uh, at every stroke of the whip, his answer was, "Woe, woe to Jerusalem!" And when Albinus, for he was then our procurator, asked him who he was and whence he came and why he uttered such words, he made no manner of reply to what he said, but still did not leave off his melancholy ditty till Albinus took him to a mad, to be a madman and dismissed him. Now, during all the time that passed before the war began, this man did not go near any of the citizens, nor was seen by them while he said so, but he, every day, uttered these lamentable words as if it were his premeditated vow. Woe, woe to Jerusalem. Nor did he give ill words to any of those that beat him every day, nor good words to those that gave him food. But this was his reply to all men, and indeed no other than a melancholy person uh, presage of what was to come. This cry of his was the loudest at the festivals, and he continued this ditty for seven years and five months without growing hoarse or being tired therewith until the very time that he, was, he saw his presage in earnest fulfilled in our sage when it ceased. For, he, for as he was going round about the wall, he cried out with his utmost vo- force, Woe, woe to the city again and to the people and to the holy house 
And just as he added the last woe, woe to myself also, there came a stone out of one of the engines and smote him and killed him immediately. And as he was uttering the very same passages, he gave up the ghost. Mm-hmm. Now, this could have been a witness. Remember, there were two witnesses. In there the were two witnesses, correct. This could have been a witness that was crying unto Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, I mean, miraculous stuff. And people act as if none of this ever happened. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're seeing the Olivet Discourse being fulfilled right there in Josephus and in Tacitus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And that's what I find rather, you know, not so much interesting, but uh, just amazing. uh, Because not only that we hold the Bible, you know, as the inerrant, infallible, you know, perfect word of God, but we have sources outside of the Bible that were historians that attest to these things taking place in their own writings in history. Right. You read Tacitus, Josephus, and the other historians you're mentioning, and read the book of Revelation, they run parallel. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the book of Revelation, let let me give three ways that people misinterpret the book of Revelation real quick. Mm. Three ways that the people misinterpret the book of Revelation is, is, well, let me do this. Let me give an overview, and then we'll talk about the three ways. So the book of Revelation is broken up into sections. The first chapter is the introduction. It, it, and it tells us what the book is about in the timing statement. The timing statement is the things would happen within that generation. It was about Jesus Christ, his resurrected glory. And that was, that was the revealing, the resurrected glory of Christ. And then it gave a kind of a glossary of, of symbolic terms, and in, uh, in it described Christ. Now, chapter 2 and 3 were the letters to the churches. Those letters were to prepare those churches for the tribulation and the great tribulation. And those churches Mm. existed then, 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor. Chapters 4 through about 19, you have the tribulation and the great tribulation being described. And it's all described in in symbolic, metaphoric idiom. It's described um, in in symbolism. It's described in... um, uh, apocalyptic language. It's the same apocalyptic language that's used in Isaiah and Jeremiah and the minor prophets and so forth. They use the same language that's used in in uh, those chapters of the book of Revelation. So you have the tribulation, great tribulation. And then 20, you have the great white throne judgment. 21, you have a beautiful description of the bride of Christ, the church. And 22, you have a beautiful description of eternity. Uh, eternal life in Christ. So that's the book of Revelation in a nutshell. Now, how people misinterpret it. Number one, they take everything literally Mm. as physical. It's physical, right? Right. Um, You know, the the, uh, scorpions described, I think, in chapter seven or eight, somewhere around in there, you know, where they have the tails that sting and they come out of the bottom of the and all that. Uh, how Lindsay described those as um, helicopters, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, I can't remember the type. Yeah. Remember it's a, it's a helicopter to shoot the missiles back in the right. <laughs> Um We used to have them on the Tripoli, USS Tripoli when I was on there. Now I can't even think of the name of it. Cobras. 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 Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Those cobras. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, that was wrong. Right. Uh, right. So they're, they're trying to, so that's the second. So taking everything literally physically, it, a lot, most of revelation is apocalyptic language that is not physical. And so the second way is um, that you take the, the book of revelation as being chronological, that it's, it just, it's running chronologically all the way through the book. It it does not run chronologically. It repeats itself over and over again. I know this dilla- uh, there's dilations, but in the, the, the tribulation portion of it, where it keeps repeating itself, keeps talking about the same thing over again, it, from different viewpoints, from different uh, types of uh, symbolic language. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, and a lot of the same apocalyptic, yeah. apocalyptic language that is used too. But right. it's all the same type of language. Right. And when you read it, you'll see things being repeated over and over mm-hmm. again. Right. And uh, that's because it's not chronological. It's trying to give a 3D picture of mm. what's happening during the tribulation. So, uh, and the, the, the last way that people misinterpret the book of Revelation, it just left me. I'm trying to think of it now. I did a video on it earlier. I sent it to you. Yes, I have. I have yet to see it. <laughs> I gotta I get caught could, up. I thought I you could help me up. <laughs> um, I, I gotta get caught up it. with a few of your videos. <laughs> yeah. Let me think for just a moment. It was physical, con, uh, tr- chronological. Oh, chronological. The last, the last thing, the last thing that people mistake for the Book of Revelation is they try to match things up in the Book of Revelation with current events. Current that events. Was, yeah. That was the last thing. That, that was the thir- third way that they misinterpreted. Uh, you can't do that because it chapters four through 19 run parallel to the Olivet Discourse, and the Olivet Discourse runs parallel to the eyewitness accounts of Josephus and the writings of Tacitus, people of that time period describing everything that was in the Olivet Discourse, and they're yeah. describing everything that, that is symbolically being to- spoken about in. 4 through 19 of the book of Revelation. Mm. Um, so in the book of Revelation itself says these things would soon occur. In um, in Matthew 24, I'm trying to remember, I think it's verse 21. I'm trying to remember the verse where it talks about this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. Um, I looked it up today in the Greek, uh, and it's it's e genea ate. Now, ate is feminine gender. Hmm. If you have autos, it's male gender, auton. There's different versions of auto, auton, ate, ate being more feminine gender because it's referenced to the church and the church is, is feminine, mm, right? Okay, right. So, uh, so that generation, so it's talking about a 40 year period because Gane. If you look it up, it means a time period, a t- period of time of, of a physical generation. If it's Ganes, it's a lineage of people or a type of people, a tribe, a nation. That's a Ganes. Mm. So the word there is Gane, which means a time period, a 40-year period, a biblical generation is 40 years, a 40-year period of time. So... You know, everything in all of the discourse, he's talking about earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and all the things that people like to mention. All of that was to occur during that generation. 
Absolutely. And that, that, that 40 year period. Well, the 40 year period ran from 8030 to 8070. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're looking at Christ being born to uh, BC, 3 BC, because the calendar's off, um, look at his crucifixion around 30 AD or so. And you're looking at a 40 year generation period from 30 to 70 AD or AD 70 is the proper way of saying it. Uh, and then you have, uh, you're right smack at the end of the great tribulation in 40 years. And Caiaphas and, um, and the Sanhedrin council are judged in AD 70, the tribulation running from uh, 63 to 70 AD. Absolutely. And because, bro, if that didn't take place then, then I think I should be looking at a temple right now, right? Somewhere. Should be. A yeah, video. We, and we, maybe and maybe have video evidence of uh, John measuring the temple. I don't know. I'm just saying. Right. And that's something that that's another thing that repeats itself. The temple being mentioned, I think, chapter seven and again in chapter 10. And, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, it's 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 you've got to, people gather around the throne throne mentioned in chapter five and chapter seven. And it's just a repetitive thing. It's giving a description of the tribulation period, not in a chronological fashion, but in a fashion where you can get a full picture of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just a seven year period that they're describing there. there. Good stuff, yeah. bro. In way yeah. of closing, brother, what, how, I mean, cause it, 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 this is a shock to the system for many believers that have never gotten to a paradigm shift where they're challenged in their dispensational belief, uh, futuristic belief. Now for people that are, you know, a little bit open into the challenge and, and start looking at and start looking into these things. What's the best approach for people to uh, look into these things? And mind you, coming from that mindset, futuristic, dispensational, uh, um, and trying to make sense of these things. Start learning the language of the apocalypse, <clears throat> apocalyptic language. <clears throat> Look at how the 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 prophets used that language. Right. Um, and, and the different symbolism that's in them, that's that's a study that will completely blow your mind. Mm. Um, and I'd recommend a couple of books like I did before. Uh, Last Day's Madness by Gary DeMar. Um, the Perusia or Parousia is probably the proper name to pronounce it. Uh, the New Testament document of our Lord's Second Coming by J. Rus- Stuart Russell mm-hmm. is really good on that. Uh, he was a congregational preacher. He was he was Calvin, a Calvinist con, convert, uh, convert, uh, congregationalist preacher, right? Mm-hmm. And he was a contemporary to Spurgeon, and they knew each other. He, he and Spurgeon mm-hmm. knew each other, and they were friends. And so uh, he wrote a really really good dissertation on um, on the apocalypse and the Book of Revelation. The Book of Revelation is the tail end of the book. He begins with the parables. And how they relate to uh, how they relate to um, prophecy, but anyway, that's a really good book. And then "Before Jerusalem Fell" by uh, Kenneth uh, Gentry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, those are the three books I recommend the most to begin with. Um, to if you, and I would say lay your dispensational books next to those books and study them uh, next to each other, and it's really 
uh, try to figure it out. But um, when you see that the language, when you begin to understand the language, it really makes a big difference. Like sun, moon, and stars, right? What's sun, moon, and stars? Well, in Genesis 37, Joseph had a dream, and he talked about the sun and the moon and the stars, the sun being Israel, his father, and the moon being his mother, which represents Jerusalem, and his brothers being the 12 tribes, which represents the 12 tribes of Israel. So from that point on in scripture, in apocalyptic language, when you see sun, moon, and stars, it's referring to Israel, Jerusalem, and the 12 tribes. So in the book of Revelation, when it's talking about the sun would go dark, it's talking about Israel going dark. The moon would turn turn blood to blood it's talking about blood running in the streets of jerusalem and i was reading to josephus the other day where the roman soldiers were literally marching over top of bodies that were piled up uh and they could they couldn't even touch the street they had to march over the bodies because it, it was such a huge massacre that i was reading where uh you know there was a river of blood flowing in the temple and the scripture says it would be to the horse's bridle right i mean mm -hmm. it's just you know you see this stuff and you're going oh wow so and then uh, of course the 12 tribes the 12 tribes were decimated during that war the war of the jews as josephus puts it during the tribulation great tribulation period so, you know, when you start seeing these parallels and you start understanding the apocalyptic language, it really changes your, your understanding of what's written in the, the apocalyptic books. And Revelation is a, an apocalyptic book, but it's also a highly doctrinal book. Amen. Good stuff, my brother. Good stuff. Folks, we encourage you. Uh, to look into these things. We challenge you to to do a study on these things. Uh, you know, be a Berean and uh, look into scripture and these things. Thank you, brother, for uh, giving these suggestions, these books that people can buy and read. And you can find a lot of them at a good discount uh, when you go into either Amazon or places like that. Uh, but bro, thank you very much for another blessed uh, podcast. Appreciate your thoughts and appreciate uh, your explanation of these things. Uh, any final thoughts before we close? Yeah. Um, as far as what's going on today, uh, I wouldn't be too worked up over it. And I wouldn't be too excited about the idea that you're going to get raptured out. And that was my point earlier is that we were so scared of death that we want to escape it. We're not going to escape it. And a rapture is not going to come to rescue us from, from having to die someday. Okay. Mm. Um, so stop, you know, we need to get over our escapism mentality when it comes to that. Uh, and you don't shine the brass on a sinking ship, right? So you're not going to work hard to build the kingdom of God if it's, if it's, you know, if everything's coming to an apocalyptic end within a few years, right? Um, so here's the thing. When all that stuff that folks believe is going to happen in the future, and I've seen some wacky stuff recently that's come out, that I'm going, oh my goodness, these people are, are delusional. But um, when all of that stuff ha doesn't happen, and uh, because, you know, it was already fulfilled, um, and you have that spiritual hangover from mm -hmm. all of that stuff that you've believed that people put out uh, with all of their predictions of, you know, signs and the stars and all this, I mean, people get really wacky with it. We'll be here 
to help you to gently as we can and graciously as we can guide you out of that mess and uh, to help heal your spiritual headache best we can. And I, I say that sincerely because people are going to suffer from it. So, yeah, God is acting for his attributes and he will handle things. He will take care of things according to his will. Live your life and stop living in fear. And with that, I'll just say, uh, I'll just say, uh, you know, uh, remember, keep your mind sharp and up here and we'll see you next podcast. We'll catch you on that flip side. You have been listening to the Vortex Apologetic Podcast. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. We want to thank you for tuning in to listen to the Vortex Apologetic Podcast. It's a blessing to have you. We hope that you continue to enjoy the future episodes and to tune in and share away with others that might be interested. Uh, We wanted to thank our families for supporting us, especially our wives that uh, they put up with us. They allow us to have time to study and spend time uh, in the Word of God. And uh, in return, they help us as well and they keep us accountable. It's a blessing to have them in our lives. So we want to especially thank them. I also want to thank uh, our church, uh, friends, and men's study that we have that we continue to encourage, be encouraged about. I want to thank all these people because they support us and pray for us and uh, it's a blessing to have in our life. Other than that, I hope you continue to enjoy the Vortex Apologetic Podcast that we will talk to you soon. More episodes to come your way. Other than that, I'm out. We're out. God bless you. 